0: Who gets to decide what you get to say on Facebook? I'm Daniel Dennis-Jones, and today on Radio Berkman, we'll pull back the curtain on Facebook's tricky censorship dance. A few years ago, several women's groups joined together to petition Facebook to work harder to block misogynistic pages, posts, and replies. Examples of misogynistic speech on Facebook are easy to find. You can find some links to examples of such hate speech on our show notes. At the time, Facebook had strict standards against hate speech that was racist or anti-Semitic. Such speech would be blocked or taken down. These groups simply asked that gendered hate speech receive the same treatment. It was ironic, people said, that Facebook would commonly take down photos of women breastfeeding in response to complaints. Such content was deemed pornographic, but when Facebook users complained about comments that were misogynistic or harassing of women, Facebook defended their decisions not to take them down. Their reasoning was one of semantics. Comments that described gendered violence didn't actually threaten violence, they would argue. But, campaigners pointed out, misogynistic content actually is threatening and creates an unsafe environment for speech. The campaigners won, but this isn't the first time Facebook's policies on censorship have been questioned by the public and it won't be the last. Right now, many European countries are asking Facebook to more strictly police hate speech on the platform. Gillian York is a writer and the director for International Freedom of Expression at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. I spoke with York about the most recent debates about online speech and why she questions whether these kinds of decisions should be left up to Facebook at all. Even following Facebook's changes and adjustments to their Platform's policy regarding hate speech and personal expression. What did you see recently on Facebook's policies that that uh, struck you?
1: Well, so right now uh, there's an ongoing debate in Europe about what you know what Facebook should do about hate speech on its platform. And the way that it's currently governed is that users report to Facebook what they see, and Facebook's team of content moderators make determinations about what is you know either against the policies or against the law and what is not. So right now what's happening is that Germany has been pushing Facebook to do more about hate speech. You know, nevertheless I think it's it's sort of a difficult position that the companies are in right now when it comes to how they govern speech.
0: When you say it's it's not really legitimate debate, it's 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 sort of like the things that you're seeing on Facebook on these hate communities. It's not about whether or not minorities are bad. It's about how much we hate minorities and how much we should <laughs> we should discriminate against them.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean any, you know, look at any sort of semi-public figures Facebook page, and if they're posting stuff about refugees right now, you'll find all sorts of really hateful comments towards Syrians, towards uh, economic migrants, towards refugees. And, you know, I don't think anyone can argue that that's legitimate debate. So, you know, it's it's hard for me to hear Facebook making that argument, but I do have to say that At the same time, I don't really trust Facebook to make the determination as to what is or is not legitimate debate, and I wonder why we're putting our faith in companies in that way.
0: It's interesting because companies like Facebook say that they don't feel comfortable saying what or what isn't hate speech, but at the same time they do make judgments about what can and cannot be seen on their services.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, all of these companies, and I, I'm looking at Facebook's right now, have kind of intricate rules around what can and cannot be posted. And so Facebook bans all sorts of things like direct threats, self-injury, um, dangerous and, and terrorist organizations. Um, and then the one that really interests me is their policy on nudity. You know, they they released this new set of community standards last year that were written a little bit more in detail. And, and would you mind if I read just a little bit of this?
0: Absolutely. Go ahead.
1: Okay, so it says, we remove photographs of people displaying genitals or focusing in on fully exposed buttocks. We also restrict some images of female breasts if they include the nipple, but we always allow photos of women actively engaged in breastfeeding or showing the breasts with post-mastectomy scarring. And it goes on and on in detail. Um, And I note that they also say that they allow photographs of paintings, sculptures, and other art that depicts nude figures. So that policy seems, if not gender biased, pretty clear at least in terms of what they allow. But when it comes to the actual enforcement of these rules, it's a lot trickier.
0: And how do they enforce these rules from what you've seen? How do they spot something, a, a naked breast or an exposed buttock, and then determine that that's violating their standards?
1: Well, so on the one hand, it's, it's possible that they're using, I'm not an expert on this aspect, but it's possible that they're using some sort of body recognition technology. And that, that would be in part to weed out and ensure that there's no child sexual abuse on their platform. And that's you know fairly understandable, if not... A little flawed, but the the second way that they do this is by user reporting. So I tested this out a couple weeks ago before giving a talk. I posted a, a painting of a topless actress B. Arthur um, from you know the the early '90s. Posted the Golden Girl. Painting. Yeah, the Golden Girl, exactly. But I, I posted this painting and I asked my friends on Facebook to report it. They did, and it was taken down. I logged back in, I was given this checkpoint where I had to both. Accept that I had violated the rules and look over my other recent photos to see if any of them were also in violation. There was also an opportunity for me to leave a note for Facebook's team, and I did saying that this was art and I quoted their own policy to them. So a few minutes later I did the exact same exercise. A couple friends reported it. I got the notification that it had been reported, but this time it wasn't taken down. I and mean, I've since posted the same one with success a few times. So, you know, I mean I think it's it's important to note that these are humans making these determinations, but it doesn't Erase, you know, the fact that it's it's problematic to be putting this much faith in companies to determine what's acceptable speech.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's as you've highlighted, it's kind of it's all in the eye of the beholder in a lot of ways. What what is hate speech? What is unacceptable nudity? How do you make these judgments on what should or should not be allowed online?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think we start by thinking about the damage of the content, for one thing. I mean, and, and I know, you know, in the U.S., that's sometimes dangerous thinking. But if we're working within the framework that we have, which is that companies are going to restrict speech, then I think, it, you know, the useful advocacy, you know, in, in trying to, to get them to shift those policies is by looking at, what the actual content is. And so I note that in, in the nudity policy, they say that they restrict the display of nudity because some audiences within their global community may be sensitive to this type of content, particularly because of their cultural background or age. When I look at that, you know, I think, okay, I, I, I'm familiar from working at the Berkman Center in the past um, as to what governments are actually censoring nude images, and it's very, very few. So, you know, I mean, I've joked before that this, this policy is almost written to Saudi Arabia's uh, taste and I think, you know, when you think about that, you're, you're restricting something that much of the world finds acceptable. Then with hate speech, you know, the U.S. is one of the only countries that doesn't have laws against hate speech. Um, and so that case, the, you know, whatever we think of it, I know in the U.S. a lot of us are purists about speech. Um, but whatever we think of it, the most of the world has decided that they don't find hate speech acceptable. And yet you have an American company that's saying, well, you know, we think that this is legitimate debate.
0: Has there been any indication to you that Facebook takes a federated approach to this at all? Do they, in in areas of the world that have more restrictive cultures try to enforce different kinds of policies than they might in the United States.
1: So yes and no. I mean, they do in the sense that they respond to government requests for content takedowns. I and mean, that information is public. They have a transparency report. Most of the companies do this. So if a, if a government or a local police or whatever, if somebody legitimately submits a request, and some of it, I think, has to be done through certain globally agreed on systems, but if those requests are submitted, Facebook looks at them, and they can take content down. So that is one way in which the standards are enforced differently. But in terms of the community standards, I actually, you know, I, I don't have any evidence to that. And I think that what's really happening here is is that there's, we're sort of settling in on what's kind of a, been described as a global speech standard, where all of these companies have kind of a generally agreed upon, I mean, they vary a little bit. Twitter allows nudity, for example, but kind of a globally agreed on sense of morality or, or, or standard of speech. And I think that's kind of dangerous that we're putting that in the hands of a handful of Silicon Valley companies.
0: Well, it's interesting. It seems very different depending on the platform that you're using. And the perception of legitimacy is different on Reddit than it is on Twitter, than it is on Facebook. And there's, specifically with Reddit, uh, a lot of the backlash came because people within Reddit viewed themselves as not just the part of the community that is creating the content, but also a a kind of, that they had some power in deciding some of the policy. When When the community itself, when the people who are, part of the community decide that they need to have standards? Is it different than a, the, the people who are actually running the nuts and bolts of the community trying to enforce standards?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I really think it is. and I mean, I'm not arguing that every platform on the Internet needs to, you know, be a completely free and open space for, for whatever kind of speech. I mean, I think that that's unreasonable. And, there, you know, you can there are a number of examples you can use as to, you know, communities that, that absolutely can be exclusionary. But I think that when the community decides, when a real community decides, it's, it's a much different thing. And, you know, I mean, I, I joke sometimes about how often Mark Zuckerberg says the word community when he refers to Facebook. <laughs> It's almost you know it's 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 a terrible drinking game. You'll get drunk very quickly. But you know I think that it's it's scary. That's what's kind of scary to see community standards as if as if anybody but Facebook's top level policy officials have agreed on these. I think it's much more acceptable when it's sort of in some sort of democratic fashion.
0: Uh, is is that the problem that they're actually making these decisions unilaterally as and and, and making these gestures towards? Facebook's community and asking them for input but ultimately making the decision themselves
1: yeah I mean I think I, I do think that that's a, a really big part of it that the users just have no say I mean I also think like the the sort of flouting of allowing certain types of hate speech on their platform when most of the world has has kind of democratically agreed on on what's appropriate I mean I and I know again this is tricky from an American perspective but <laughs> it's still it's if it's if it wants to be a global platform as it says it is and it makes decisions about what it thinks is globally acceptable when it comes to other things like nudity, then you would think that it would try to listen to the community when it comes to, to other issues.
0: What do you think the stakes are if Facebook continues in this trend of making unilateral decisions about, about speech and allowing hate speech, but denying other types of expressive speech, uh, such as nudity? You know, what's, uh, where does this take us?
1: I mean, I think, it's, I think it can take us in a lot of directions, but I mean, I think it's clear that we could experience a cultural shift in, in terms of some of these topics. And so breastfeeding was a great example in Facebook's policy. You know, it used to be that those photos would often come down. After a lot of advocacy, they now, for the most part, stay up, although there are some erroneous decisions around that. But that was something that really scared me. The idea that, you know, breastfeeding is already stigmatized in a lot of the world, including in the U.S. And so by, you know, stigmatizing it further on an online platform, how does that, you know, how does that further the cause? I think it's something really important. I can understand them limiting certain things like pornography, but even then you're sort of making a decision as to what's best for our culture. And and that's a hard thing to accept from a corporation.
0: Do you think that uh, Facebook themselves should just open the gates a little bit and allow for communities to decide the stuff? Or is there something good about being able to unilaterally decide and make these policies? With the with the knowledge that they'll change over time and depending on the kind of outcry that the community makes, they can, they can reverse course or advance as they wish.
1: Well, I think that they should make a much stronger effort to engage with communities in terms of this stuff. And so, you know, the question is, how do we, you know, how do we get them to engage with the greater public and their users on these issues? They do these town halls occasionally, but they're very scripted. So, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe the world doesn't want nudity, but let's hear from them.
0: It's it's such a funny and interesting thing to me because there's such a, a, a tension between trying to understand the policies that they make. Do they do they enforce an idea of a of a an older culture, or do they if they if they change their policies to accept more nudity, are they advancing a forward looking culture that doesn't quite exist yet? It's like a very philosophical thing to me. <laughs> it's like who who are who is Facebook? Who are they uh, trying <laughs> to represent?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's a really, that's a really interesting question. It's interesting to think about, you know, who else has historically governed speech, uh, you know, the church, the state, but there are other entities as well. And that's something that that I've I've started thinking about in, in context of this, too. I mean, we know the history of why women are covered up and men do not have to be so. I mean, similar in a lot of cultures, but then there are a lot of cultures where it's not the case. And so there's also sort of an inherent Western bias to where Facebook's coming from, which is, I suppose, less surprising. It is really interesting to dig into and, and what, who do they represent? And what happens also as the company gets older and you know, perhaps even changes hands? How, mm. does, how will that shift?
0: Well, thank you very much, Jill.
1: Yeah, thank you for
0: having me. My pleasure. Jillian York is a writer and the director for International Freedom of Expression at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. You can find out more about her and the topic of this show at our show notes at cyber.law.harvard.edu. This week's episode of Radio Berkman was produced by me, Daniel Dennis-Jones, with Elizabeth Gillis at the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That had ever hit me